This is the Command Your Brand podcast, where we talk to world changers, visionaries, and founders, people that are doing big things and changing this planet in a positive way. We're learning their stories, techniques, and exactly what you need to know so that you can do things in a big way. The time is now. Get ready to take command of your brand. What is up, everybody? Jeremy here. And guys, I'm very excited for today's guest as we have John Livesey with us. And he's the pitch whisperer. He's a sales keynote speaker where he shows companies and sales teams how to run mundane case studies into compelling case stories so they win more in their business. Because really, stories are very powerful. And that is what we're going to talk about today. John, thank you so much for your time today, man. Always great to spend some time with you, Jeremy. So for people that don't really know you, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you kind of got in this whole world, man. Sure. I had a passion for advertising. That's what I majored in in school. I was always interested in what motivated people to change their behavior Mm. or persuade them. Or if it was a jingle, how did that stick in your head over and over again? You know, I have to say, like, I'm kind of upset that more companies don't do jingles because they work so well. Like, I will never forget Cars for Kids, like ever, because I've heard it so many times. Right. That is a great combination. I think advertising of show business Mm-hmm. and business. So it's that emotional connection that's always fascinated me. And I moved to Silicon Valley and had a career selling multi-million dollar mainframe computers to big companies and had to compete against IBM. And that's when I realized that no matter what you're selling or how technical it is, it's still an emotional buy that's backed up with logic. Because they would say, yeah, your equipment might be faster, less expensive, even more reliable, But we're afraid to leave IBM because if something breaks, they're going to point the finger at you and we'll get fired for bringing you in. So there was a lot of emotion around very tech product that was high priced. Sure. And then I had a career in advertising, doing commercials for movies coming out on home video back in the day of Blockbuster. And we could reposition a movie that hadn't done well theatrically and cut it differently. And that's really where I honed my storytelling skills of, oh, depending on what part of a story you focus on, that's what makes people want to see it or rent it in this case. Mm -hmm. And then I had a 15-year career at Condé Nast selling advertising for big brands like Nike and Banana Republic and Lexus. And then the last eight years, I've been on the speaking circuit going to sales teams who are struggling with coming in second place because unlike the Olympics, there's no medal for second place in sales. (laughs) Yeah, you just it's what my dad said. You're the first loser. Um, Thanks, dad. (laughs) Well, John, there's a lot of different things I want to dive into around this. And I think that the first place for us to start is why are stories such a powerful mode of communication? Like, why do you see them to be such? Well, Jeremy, the research shows that we're wired for storytelling. Even back when we lived in caves, Mm -hmm. they used to sit around the glow of a campfire and draw pictures and tell stories. Now we sit around the glow of PowerPoint slides and big meetings. But that concept of a story that gets passed down from generation to generation of the the family's history story, your own personal story, all of that causes us to be in the right side of our brain where emotion and listening and storytelling live. But if you start pushing out a bunch of facts and figures, people are in an analytical mode. You want them to be in an emotional mode because, as I said, people buy emotionally. So that's why storytelling is so powerful. 
And I guess when we're looking at it, because this is really important, right, is how innately human stories are. You know, you look at before you and I started recording, The Odyssey was written by Homer, who was a blind bard poet. And if you look at it historically, he may have actually been three people because the first version was spoken and passed around. And then the second version added more and the third version added more. So there are these things that are innately human. They communicate to us like really at not just a physical level, but really at a spiritual level in a lot of ways. And I guess when we look at it, what does a good story have that communicates? Well, a good story tugs at the heartstrings to get you to open the purse strings. And they should be three things. They should be clear, concise, and compelling. So let's unpack each one. Sure. If it's not clear and you confuse somebody with a bunch of acronyms, no one's going to say they're confused. They're just going to say no. The second part, concise, it needs to be short enough that someone can remember it and repeat it, Jeremy, Mm. or what I call the meeting after the meeting. So if you're a buyer and you hear three different pitches or you're interviewing a candidate that, you know, the employer is interviewing three people. Or in my case, as a sales keynote speaker, oftentimes it's between me and two other speakers and they interview each of us. And then they have the second meeting and they say, well, what did you think? They all kind of sound the same. I guess we should go with the cheapest. Well, that's the kiss of death. But the person who told a concise story that they could repeat and tell about, this is why I think we should pick Jeremy, Mm -hmm. then that's the hook. And then finally, the compelling There has to be some emotion in there, some struggle that someone's overcome. Otherwise, the story is not really interesting. You don't care about the character. So using words like struggle and overwhelm and have those emotional words in there so people feel like, oh, yeah, that's something that I'm going to remember because there was some emotion tied to it. So when we're looking at like a good story from stage, you know, I think of speakers that I've seen that have just done an excellent job at this. Like one that stands out to me is John C. Maxwell. I feel like I'm sitting around a fire and listening to John as he tells a story from stage. And I guess when you put together a story that really sells well from stage, how is that different versus one you would tell one-on-one, if it is at all? Mm. Well, it's interesting. I think that the best stories are derived to speak to one person. Elizabeth Gilbert, who wrote Eat, Pray, Love, said that whole book was her way of taking her best friend who couldn't go on the trip with her. So she was writing it for one specific person. And when you know who you're telling a story to, then it's specific, it's compelling. And then here's the secret. Other people see themselves in the story and Mm want to go on the journey with you. So when you learn how to tell a story in such a way that people feel something and hear something that's relevant to them and actually see themselves in it, then you're clicking on all cylinders. And I can give you an example of that if you'd like. Yeah, I'd love to hear it. So I was working with a medical tech company and I said, what are you saying now to get doctors to buy this equipment? Well, it makes the surgery go 30% faster. It's so logical. Don't you want one? And they couldn't understand why they weren't selling very many. And I said, ah, there's no story. So after asking some questions, we crafted this story that they now sell. Imagine how happy Dr. Higgins was down at Long Beach Memorial when he could go out to the patient's family an hour earlier than expected and put them out of their waiting misery. And if you've ever waited for somebody you love to come out of surgery, you know every minute feels like an hour. And the doctor came out and said, good news, the scope shows they don't have cancer, they're gonna be fine. And then turned to the rep and said, you know, that's why I became a doctor for moments like this. Now that rep tells that story to another doctor at another hospital who sees himself in the story and says, you know what, that's why I became a doctor. I want your equipment too. The client said to me, oh, that gives us chills. Not only are we not telling a story, it never occurred to us to make a patient's family a character in the story. 
There's a couple of things I'm thinking about this. First of all, when you're telling that story, it was going through my head similar experiences I've had in my life. So I was already like putting myself into the story. Mm-hmm. I think that the other thing that I noticed, and I think it's an area a lot of people mess up, is the story you're telling, it had a lot of reality for the person that you know was receiving the story. And I guess when you're looking at that, how do you make sure the story you're going to tell has the reality for the person receiving it, right? Because that's vital. If it doesn't have the right reality and you tell that story, they could be like, well, it's a great story, but it doesn't have to do with me. Like, how do you, I guess, look at that? Well, when I work with clients, I say you need to have more than one story. You can't keep telling the same story to everybody. Your brain needs to be like a playlist. You know, instead of songs coming out, you need to have the right story come out depending on who you're talking to so that that person sees themselves in it. So that's a great story to tell to a doctor. You'd need a different story if you were talking to the CEO of the hospital or somebody in purchasing. And so that customization of your stories, of who you're telling that story to, so they do see themselves in. But you'll notice the technique I use to pull you into the story, which is if you've ever waited for somebody you love. And even if you haven't, you could imagine how stressful that would be waiting. And so those Mm -hmm. little techniques pull people into your stories and you're not the hero of the story. The doctor or whoever your client is, that's who the hero is. And as you're telling the story, you're the Sherpa helping them climb Mount Everest or Yoda in Star Wars. I can't help myself. There is no try, only do. Um, anyway, my wife hates it when I do that. I do a Scooby-Doo too that she absolutely hates as well. But I think that's really interesting though, because I think we have this misconception when you're telling a story, it has to be a hero's journey type story. Mm -hmm. And when you're doing that, you're not always considering the person you're delivering it to. Like you said, you're there to help them along. I guess, why do people miss out on that? Like, why do you think people miss that? Well, it's just a lack of training. You know, you think, oh, I'm a good storyteller. I tell stories about myself all the time. And is anybody remembering them? Is anybody repeating them? But do you know how to tell a story that somebody sees themselves in? Oh, no, I don't know how to do that. Well, the good news is you don't have to be a gifted athlete or an amazing singer born with all this talent. You can learn how to tell a story. And that's what I do in The Sailors and the Tales I Give. A story about storytelling, a fable that pulls people in, hopefully. But then at the end, there's some actual steps, four steps to make a case story, for example, that people can start learning and use as a checklist to improve their storytelling skills. So let's talk about that then. What are the steps we should take a look at after the story? Because the story is great, right? But the reason that we're doing this is to grow our company, to get more awareness, to really connect with people. So what are those steps after the story? Well, as you're preparing your story and you want to use this as your checklist to make sure that you've covered all four, the first is the exposition. Who, what, where, when, like a journalist. Make sure you paint the picture so people know, is this last week, last month, last year? You'll notice in that story I gave, you know the doctor's name, how long ago it was, which hospital. We have a sense of where we are in the story. Then the second step is the problem. And here, Jeremy, is the secret. When you describe a problem with so much empathy, people assume you have their solution. Mm. The better you describe the problem, the more likely they are to pick you. That's interesting because it's like there's like no reason you would have contemplated it unless you've looked at it, been there, and you're like, I've solved it. Yes, because the clients that pick you or hire you or buy from you, nine times out of the tens are the ones that say, you know, Jeremy, you get us. You get me. And you've done that by showing empathy in the story of describing their problem. I would totally agree because you get to a point and they go, okay, great. So what's next, right? They're already like closing themselves. That's a great point. Yeah, you get me. Are you in my head? How did you know I was thinking about that or worried about that? And then the fourth step is what most people forget, the resolution. 
What is life like after someone's worked with you or bought your product from you? And so in this particular case, the resolution to that story was the doctor turning to the rep and saying, that's why I became a doctor for moments like that. And so without that, the solution was the patient's going to be fine. If you just ended the story there, kind of like ending the Wizard of Oz with Dorothy getting in the balloon. But no, there's that great scene where she's at home telling everyone, ah, oh, I appreciate home and you so much more than I ever did. That's what makes that a classic story. And if you add resolution to your story, they'll start to really become compelling. So let me ask you this, John, like you've worked with a lot of people, you've seen a lot of people implement. What are some of the biggest mistakes people make around selling with a story? Well, the first big mistake is they don't tell a story and they just push out that. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Let's just start there. 90% of people just think they have a belief that if I give you enough information, you'll buy. And they don't understand mm-hmm. that people are buying emotionally and not logically. Then the second biggest mistake that I see is they make themselves the hero instead of the client. And then the third mistake is it's not concise. It just goes on and on and on and it's rambling and maybe a little dull because the stakes aren't high. So people definitely need some training and practice to make their stories great. It's like anything, but it mm-hmm. is a skill that we can all improve on. So I'm interested to hear as well, do you think the world around storytelling is changing now, like I guess with the modalities and way people receive stories? Like, do you think that has changed or what do you think around that? Like we consume media differently. We see video differently, right. audio differently. How do you think this is affecting storytelling? Well, the fact that Facebook and Instagram literally say stories now, when they launched, <laughs> they didn't. Mm-hmm. They're encouraging people to tell a little story with a video and create a story. A few years ago, I would have to convince companies of why storytelling was a powerful sales tool. Now, more and more people get it. And they're like, nothing we're saying is landing. We need to learn how to tell a story. And so they're actively searching out me to help them come to their teams to be a speaker. So I think people are aware that storytelling has always been considered a soft skill. Mm -hmm. But what happens is if you just have your hard skills, I'm a lawyer, I'm an accountant, I'm a financial advisor, whatever it is, you drowned in a sea of sameness. Everyone says, you're all the same, I'll just buy the cheapest, whether it's insurance or whatever. So the soft skills empathy, listening, and storytelling. When you have all of those in your toolbox, you get that emotional connection. They actually make you strong. Do you think, you know, with so much more access to stories, do you think it's harder for a story to stand out? Like, I guess, what do you think around that? Mm, I don't think so. It's like, you look at all of the streaming networks, right? It's Netflix and Disney Plus and this and this and HBO and blah, 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 blah. There's always the cream rises, the best stories, People don't care what platform it's on. Oh my God, you got to watch this show. It's so amazing. I can't wait for the next episode. And even, you know, This Is Us has been a huge hit on NBC. So even a classic traditional platform, if it's got a great story, it stands out. Well, John, this has been awesome. And I think it is a huge point for how stories communicate to us as humans, how like we really do make those decisions emotionally. Like they aren't based rationally. And, you know, that is really how you can show people how you can help. You can show people how you can care. And at the same time, you can grow your business. And I think there's a lot to be said for being able to grow your company because you care about people. Exactly. And that is, that's a great way to attract top talent is have a story about your company and why you love working there. And that is going to attract the best people. Well, John, for people listening, if they want to connect with you, if they want to grab your books, how's going to be the best way for our listeners to do that? Well, if anybody wants a free chapter of the book, all you have to do is text the word pitch 
P-I-T-C-H, to 66866, and I'll send you a free chapter and see if it's intriguing enough to want to make you get the whole thing. Or just go to my website, John Livesey, L-I-V as in Victor, E-S-A-Y. And if you can't remember any of that, just Google the Pitch Whisperer and all my content shows up. Very cool. Well, John, I appreciate your time today, man. And thank you so much for hanging out with us today. And I hope to chat with you again soon. Thanks, Jeremy.